Hi, this is Danielle from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 151 of Art for Your Ear. This episode is brought to you by SachiArt.com, the world's largest curated online art gallery offering original artwork and limited edition prints by independent artists from around the world. Okay, so I have been trying to make this episode happen for quite a long time. From the second I saw the trailer for this film, I knew I had to get the director on the podcast. Heather Lenz is the woman behind the 2018 documentary, Kusama Infinity. Bah, goosebumps already. I have so many questions. How did she make this happen? How long did it take? How did she get access to Kusama? Did she ever see Kusama without her red perfect wig on? Let us not waste another second, okay? Let's call Heather in California. Hi, Heather. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad we've been trying to do this for a while. And um, the moment I even saw that the film was out, I, all I'd seen was a trailer and I emailed you <laughs> to see if I could get you on. Um, because yeah, what a cool project. Yeah, what a cool project. Thank you. Yeah, so we're going to get into all of that and how it came about and um, all of that good stuff. But um, the way I always like to do my podcast is I like to find out who my guests are and what they were like as kids and how they ended up doing what they're doing. So um, were you artsy as a kid? Were you, did you have a camera? What, what were you like? Well, I was definitely very artsy and... Um, uh, I remember in kindergarten that um, they had these different um, sections of the room. There was the drawing table. There was an indoor jungle gym, which sounds sort of strange, and and the reading corner. And every day I would just beeline it to the drawing table. And occasionally I would be forced to go uh, other places like the jungle gym, and I would sort of just stand there looking at the drawing table, wishing that that's where I was. <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. Please don't make me play on this indoor trap. Uh, <laughs> that's where everyone else wanted to be, so, you know. I would have been with you over at the drawing table. Yeah, totally. Sure. Um, and so where did you grow up? I grew up in Ohio in a very, very small town. Two traffic lights, no gas station, no post office, no fast food, just very, very small. Um, so, wow. yeah. Big change to move to Los Angeles. Yeah, no kidding. And so did you, like, did you go to high school in that tiny town, too? I uh, I went to a, a, a high school in a neighboring city um, in Akron, and, and then I did my undergraduate work at Kent State, okay. um, which is unfortunately best known for the the infamous uh, 1970 shootings. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Um, did you study film? I studied art, and I did take my first filmmaking classes there as well. There was a program um, in place that an experimental filmmaker, Richard Myers, had set up. Mm. So unfortunately, I didn't get to take classes with him. He was just on his way out when I took my film classes. But I, I would say I was influenced by him because I attended um, screenings that he gave, and I got to see the work of his students and also his work. And um, it was all very very poetic and and just beautiful visuals and um, it's just very very different from the kind of work that I would be exposed to when I went to get my MFA at USC. Mm, okay and so when you when you were doing your undergrad were you so you did that film class, but were you like a painting major or what, what were you doing? I started as a printmaking major ah. and I transitioned to sculpture and um, I, I ended up getting my, my fine arts degree in sculpture and I also got an art history degree. Oh, wow. um, so it was through, uh, it was actually through my sculpture class that I was exposed to Kusama's work. Um, and it was just kind of love at first sight. Uh, at the time, this will be hard for Kusama fans to imagine, but back then there was only one catalog on Kusama's art, and just reading that, I really felt that her contributions to the American art world hadn't been properly understood or recognized or appreciated, mm -hmm. and 
then when I found out she was living in a psychiatric hospital, I just thought she was just a very, very intriguing character who would make a great subject for a film. Initially, I had hoped to go study with her in Japan, but when I found out about her, her living um, circumstances, I knew that wasn't going to be possible. But um, anyway, I was just very intrigued by her work. And, and at the time, you know, in my art history classes, uh, probably for every thousand male artists we learned to about five women artists and, and not Kusama at that time. So. Yeah, I hear that. I just wrote a book called A Big Important Art Book Now with Women for exactly that reason because we had all these big important art books and there were no women in any of them. Yeah, right. And, and trying to be an artist when I grew up, you know, when I was a, you know, a BFA student minoring in art history, I say exactly, like for every thousand there was a handful of women and I just thought, well, who am I supposed to emulate? Like there was nothing no information. And yeah, I certainly didn't learn about Kusama either. And so how did you come across that one catalog? Well, it was um, shortly after the exhibition referenced in the movie at the Center for International Contemporary Art. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time I had... um, I, I had a car I had inherited from my uh, grandfather who passed away, and it was about an eight-hour drive to New York City, and so I had friends interested in the arts, and we would sometimes on weekends drive to New York and stay in youth hostels and things like that and look at art all weekend, um, and uh, so I picked up the catalog in New York City. Okay, wow, and it just planted a, a seed for you. Yeah, it did. And I just, um, like I said, as soon as I saw her art, I was just very, very intrigued by it. And by chance, our local art museum, the Akron Art Museum, did have um, a couple of sculptures uh, by her also. Mm, Wow. Okay, so that's all happening. And then, but then you apply to go do your MFA and you go out to California. Mm -hmm, That's right. And what did you do your MFA in? Oh, in filmmaking. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And some time had passed in between, but I had just always uh, remained interested in Kusama. And as a young person, I moved from one apartment to another. And one of the few things I always took with me was this one catalog on Kusama. Wow. So cool that you just felt that connected to her right from the beginning. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So you go into your MFA. Were you already thinking that this is a film that you wanted to make? Well, when I first started, well, for sure, I knew that I was exclusively interested in making documentaries and biopics, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so I guess it was my second semester, I started working on a script about Kusama, and I had initially planned to work on the script with hopes of doing a biopic with actors, but it started to become apparent that even if I had an amazing script, the odds of me getting to direct it right after grad school were pretty slim, you know, being that it would be a pretty big budget period piece largely. So mm-hmm. I decided to work on the documentary um, in part because I thought it was going to be so much easier to make. It turned out to be quite challenging though. And um, <laughs> And also because Kusama was still alive and able to tell her story in her own words. Yeah, so, I mean, that is what blows my mind. Like, how how did it all happen? Like, did you just reach out to her? Like, how, how did this all come together? Well, uh, I managed to get a phone number to her studio in Japan. And um, since I don't speak Japanese, I had a friend who who does speak Japanese, call on my behalf and basically announced that I was making the movie. I was very naive and just naively enthusiastic about the whole thing. And I thought that they were going to be just as excited as I was. But they had very practical questions. They wanted to know which TV station it would be on or which movie theater it would screen in. And so I realized that um, they didn't really understand the idea of independent filmmaking or passion project or the process here in America where you have to apply for grants and and you know sometimes do things you wish you didn't have to like you know pay for things on credit cards right all that good stuff so anyway I realized I I I needed to be strategic and so I pulled back a little bit I didn't give up on the idea and um by the time I graduated, I teamed up with a, a producing partner, Karen Johnson, and we started applying for grants together. 
and just doing some shoots with her um, peers and art historians and and uh, just, just working to put a pitch tape together. Okay, and how long ago was this that you were doing all this? Well, uh, Karen and I did our first shooting in 2004. Wow. <laughs> epic journey so uh, by the time we got our first grants a few years had passed and one sort of funny story is that um, the second grant we got was for a dream project that involved travel to Japan it's from the Aurora Foundation and so of course that sounds pretty much perfect we had already been applying for a few years to get that grant and so when the head of the organization found out that I didn't actually have Kusama's permission yet she was quite surprised um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to her credit, though, she took me under her wing, and she um, she ended up making the, the first trip to Japan with me to meet Kusama, and ahead of that, she arranged for me to work with a tutor, so I learned conversational Japan. And wow! Yeah, I, um, I learned how low I should bow when I met Kusama, because that's based on status, and so I was told it should be a 90-degree bow, and... <laughs> Uh, I just so you signed all- up for yoga classes, too, just to get the flexibility <laughs> there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, so I just did a ton of prep work before I met her, and um, and it was just super exciting when it finally happened. No kidding. Were you, were you so nervous to meet her, or just by that point you were like, just let me in there? Oh no! I was ready to go. Ready yeah, to go. Yeah. I was. I was excited. It was finally going to happen. And at the end of the shoot, I told her it's the happiest day of my life, and she said, "Mine too." <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. I can't believe that. Like, yeah, it's just so great that you had that access to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it's a, such a you did such a beautiful job telling her story and um you know with your interviews with other people with other curators and you know people that have worked with her and friends of hers um and so when you were working with her um did you have a translator that was how how much yeah yeah i did um it, it, it was different for different shoots, but those first shoots at her studio, we had a very interesting setup. I had a translator sitting next to me to ask her questions, and then we had a second camera running, and um, we had a monitor. So the monitor was showing Kusama in front of the camera, and then with the second camera, we were filming that monitor, and we had a really long cable running into another room where someone who spoke Japanese was watching the shoot in real time and they were giving real-time translation to me that was coming back through another cable into an earpiece I had so that I had some idea of what she was saying to me. Wow. Yeah, and in fairness, obviously, Kusama lived in New York for about 15 years, so she does speak some English, but she just felt that she could um, communicate more clearly in Japanese, so it was her choice to do the interviews in, in Japanese. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, and it was really cool watching her work. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a real pleasure. Yeah, just, I mean, it's her work is so meditative, but even watching her do it, mm-hmm. you can just sort of feel yourself like, oh, this feels good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so how much time did you actually get to spend with her, do you think? Well, that's a good question. You know, obviously the film took many years to make, so the interviews were broken up over the course of several years. Um, At at one point I went to Japan and I stayed for about a month, and I had the very rare opportunity and privilege to go through her archives, which include all kinds of things. I mean, amazing photographs spanning decades, and then letters she had saved, receipts, diaries, all sorts of things. And so when I stayed that time, I... I interviewed her on a couple different occasions, and I also traveled throughout Japan interviewing people. And then there were times when, um, you know, years might pass before I would see her again. And she did traveling, too, during the making of the film. So we were able to film her in London and in New York and um, at different places over the years. Wow, that is, it is quite remarkable. How old is she now? She is, uh, I think in March, she turns 90. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just so remarkable that, um, just so great that she's still living, that you had access to her, that you could, you know, because that, that's the th- that's 
one of the reasons I do this podcast is because I can talk to all of you guys right now because you're all alive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and because once, once people, you know, are gone, you can't get more stories from them. Um, and so I just think it's so exciting that not only did you ask to have that access, but she gave it to you, you know, and you got to really get in there and, and find out all of this stuff and share her crazy, amazing story. Yeah, she certainly has a, a very compelling story. And again, what motivated me to make the film was that I felt that she hadn't been properly understood or recognized. Totally. But time went by, and I and it was such an uphill battle to make the film and get the funding. Um, I really started to connect more and more with her tenacity and everything she had to go through, all of the obstacles she had to overcome to get where she is. And if you think about it... Um, you can kind of see in her childhood that she's just out of sync with the people around her. The expectation is that a young woman would get married and not just get married, but have an arranged marriage and become a mother and just have a more conventional life. But she had these big dreams and ambitions to be an artist. And I think um, she probably felt that when she left Japan and went to America, that she would have so many more opportunities and and in a way that's true but you also see that she left behind one set of problems only to be faced with another set of problems and yeah and she really had to go through a lot to pursue her dreams well you know it's what I really loved I mean it's hindsight is always 2020 right but just like when she was going through those depressions where you know basically everybody was copying her and getting the credit and um, you know, she was, you know, not only a woman, but, um, you know, a woman of color and minority in New York at, at the time where, you know, you wouldn't be given the time of day. It must, and, you know, in that moment, she must have just been so frustrated, just in a fog, right? And there's no way that you can predict now, like, isn't she the most, what, what's the quote that she's the most? She's she's the top selling living female artist in the entire world. Yeah, like yeah. if somebody had told her that, mm-hmm. then do you know what I mean? And so I think it's such a, an amazing lesson for anybody that when you are in that kind of like, oh my gosh, what's the point? This is you know all that stuff that you have to just keep pushing and pushing because yeah, yeah, it's true. I think some of the people with the most brilliant minds, they're not understood or appreciated at the time because they're doing things that are sort of a step up a step ahead yeah and so what's celebrated in the moment or a project that may be easy to get made um in the moment is something that may not hold up over time right but see and that's the other wonderful thing is that she's alive to see it I as know. opposed I to someone who's appreciated after they die like i, I I'm so happy that she lived to see the film, and um, it was always a big concern of mine. Um, how did she, did? how did that go? Like, where did she first see it? Well, the first time she saw a cut was several years ago. We actually had a, a finished cut, a feature feature-length cut back in 2011, it's hard to believe, and I I really thought that we would be able to get it done in time for that uh, retrospective that Tate organized. Right. Um, But post-production is so expensive, and um, we just couldn't get the funding. And so, um, but back when she saw the cut, I mean, she only ever gave me one note, which was um, that she wanted more of her new art in it, um, which is such a struggle for someone as prolific as her, because I never wanted the ending to be just whatever she was doing last month or last week, because then I felt the film would instantly be out of date, and, and she does make such great stuff, and just recently I was in London, and I had the opportunity to see one of her new mirror rooms at Victoria Mirror, and I just absolutely loved it, and I sort of had the same feeling as her oh I wish I could have put this in the film but obviously (laughs) you're going to just be feeling like that every single day and and the thing about it is um obviously took so long to make that the ending did change but one thing that 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 didn't change is is just kind of the tone of the ending and and to be I I guess to kind of break it down in a little more detail um, initially, I had imagined that the halfway point of the film would be the Venice Biennale in the 60s, which it still is. And the reason is that up until then, you see that she's playing by the rules, she's trying to get her work into the galleries, and you see that it's not really going as well as it is for her male peers. 
But when she goes to the Venice Biennale in the 60s, uh, and she's not invited, and she shows her work, it's a very bold move. And um, I, I love that she's taking matters into her own hands, and I feel like she's just deciding that she's not going to be... Um, basically a slave to the gallery system and have them decide when and where she can show her art. And I think it's just very powerful. And then in the 1990s, when she's invited to be the first woman to represent Japan at the Venice Biennale, it's just super exciting. And initially, I thought that would be the ending of the film. But as time passed, that no longer made sense. And so I zeroed in on this idea of this hometown acceptance that she finally gets from Matsumoto City, who previously had been so embarrassed by her 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 um, her art making in New York that they her, her high school had removed her from the alumni list. That yeah, shame. yeah, that's and 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 in Japan too, like shame and, and it's so catastrophic. Yeah, and so when they finally come around and appreciate her and and they built this museum in Matsumoto City and they put a bunch of her art there. It's just really exciting and powerful. And so I tried to blend that with, um, you know, with some of the new art, but I just couldn't put everything in. And there's, you know, there's other examples of art that I, that she's made that I really love. I just couldn't fit it all in. Yeah, I know. It would be like a 12 hour epic. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's for sure. And there were, and there were other things about her life too that were really important to me. Not just her life, not just her art, but other aspects of her life. So, for example, this trauma she experiences as as a child during World War II is very important to me to include. And I feel, and one reason I guess is because um, I feel like there there are some people that maybe wouldn't want to watch a more conventional. Um, historical film dealing with war but this is an art film and so I feel like I'm able to weave certain things in and expose people to them and like for example a younger generation who maybe doesn't know much about about the atomic Mm -hmm. bomb falling and I I would like to think that that's something people wouldn't have to worry about anymore but unfortunately when you hear um you know the current leader of America I know of North Korea, you know, debating things, you realize you actually do have to have some concern about a possible atomic bomb, you know, falling someday. And and by chance, uh, just an, an interesting thing that happened during the making of the film is that I married into a Japanese family, and my husband's own grandfather was killed when the atomic bomb fell on Hiroshima. Yeah. So when, yeah, so when I watched that footage of uh, America sending the plane with the bomb to Japan and I knew what the outcome would be. It was, it was really chilling for me. Yeah, oh my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Um, did, did you meet your husband while you were in Japan? I didn't meet him while I was in Japan, but I did meet him at a cherry blossom festival, <laughs> <laughs> a Japanese event. <laughs> Oh my gosh, talk about like life weaving into art and like, I know it's amazing. Um, Okay, I have a question about the um, hospital that she lives in. Yes. Did she, did she, was she in a mental state where she needed to be there or, or did she, or was she more like, this would be nice? Well, from what I understand, during the time period she checked herself in, she was actually having um, a lot of issues with depression and a lot of suicidal thoughts. Okay. So that is what prompted her to to go there. And she had had some ongoing um, medical help on and off, but eventually just decided to check herself in. And I think it's one of the very it's one of the most interesting parts of this story that. Um, this ends up being a place where she's so supported and nurtured and is able to just focus on her art. And so I, I one thing I like about it is it's not just, um, you know, it, 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 under different circumstances, it would be easy to see that as a tragedy, but it, but it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, here she's finally supported. And one thing I like to say, uh, you're a creative person, so you could probably appreciate this. Um you know, she's found this place where she's able to focus on the thing that she loves pretty much during all of her waking hours. And she has someone else to go buy the groceries and make dinner. I know, it sounds pretty great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and clean the toilet and do all these 
mundane things that we have to do in our lives besides our creative work. And so I think it's just really um, fascinating and amazing that she ended up there. Yeah, because like the, when you hear that that's where she lives and then you see her work and it's all these repeated dots and whatever... Um, I think when you do the the three-second recap on Kusama, it's like, oh, she's crazy. Mm, yeah. You know, she lives in this hospital, and she does dots, and it's like, but I don't, that's not the case. Yeah, and it always makes me really sad. Sometimes at Q&As, I'll have people who want to compare her to Van Gogh, and I feel like that's just such a superficial comparison, because if you think about it, um, you know, ultimately he chose death, but you see by the end of the film, she wants to live forever. It's the exact opposite, you yeah. know, and it's, it's like, it's like trying to compare two people that have, um, heart disease or diabetes or something. I mean, just because they both suffer from mental illness, it's, it's just a totally different, um, it's just totally different the way it, it's been, uh, I guess, manifest in their lives. Yeah, and played out, and yeah, and I, I just love that, um, you know, no burn to Van Gogh here, but like we said earlier, like, I love that she's alive for all of this. Yeah, you yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, and I mean, and I love Van Gogh's work, too, don't get me wrong, I absolutely do, it's just that in terms of, I'm not talking about their art, just um, yeah. the way they, that, they, that their lives unfolded. It's yeah. Very- well, and I think she's, I think she's got it kind of figured out. Like you said, you know, she can <clears throat> wake up in the morning and create all day. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, okay, here's a question. Did you see her without her red wig? Uh, I didn't, but you know, I, um, I love the red wig and I wasn't really, I never asked, requested that. Um, I feel like she, to me, she's just so so cool how she is and how she presents herself and I feel like when I'm her age I hope I have some amazing style or fashion sense like her I mean if all of our grandmothers were running around in colored wigs I mean wow that'd be a very interesting world (laughs) I know like that's part of her brilliance right like she she just is amazing with those red lips and her perfect wig and her polka dot clothes like I mean she's had it figured out for a long time. And like, I loved, um, I don't know how many screen grabs I took of her, um, of the old photos that you had in the film, the ones in New York, you know, when she's on like the Staten Island ferry and stuff, it's just like so stylish, Mm -hmm. so cool. And then I love that she's about to turn 90 and she's still like so individual and iconic and she's created this amazing brand. Yeah, she has great fashion sense, and yeah, I think in terms of what you're saying about the branding, these days, anyone who's entrepreneurial, you know, they do post photos all over the internet and things, but back when she uh, was in New York, I think it's just fascinating that she had the foresight to have these photos taken of herself in her studio and outside of her studio, standing in the street with canvases and all sorts of things. She, she just, um, really was forward thinking and that she presented herself and, and arranged to have these documents taken. Yeah. And like lucky for you (laughs) because you have access to all of this stuff. Um, so let's talk about the funding thing. So it's, if you finished it in 2011, that must've been killing you. Oh, yes, but you have to understand the cut changed. So substantial amount of work happened after that. I did have a cut in 2011, but, you know, we ended up continuing to film and continuing to edit. So so it wasn't really done, and, and the post work was really a beast on this film. And also because the film took so long to make, um, there were just all sorts of issues we had to address. We were working on an outdated a piece of editing software that was crashing and we were in the wrong frame rate and all sorts of things. Oh so my God. Okay. So this is going on for years. Mm-hmm. Do you have a day job or like, are you living off grant money? How did you do it? Uh, no, I certainly was not living off grant money. <laughs> I wish um, there wasn't even ever enough money for the film. I, I had various day jobs over the years. Um, I worked um, in TV, doing research for other projects. I worked in an art gallery. I had jobs unrelated to film. I, you know, I did all sorts of things. So. That's awesome. Like, there, that's the same tenacity, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so that you could make your, make your creative vision come alive. 
Right, right. So how did you, okay, so where was the, so the movie is done, and it, where did it premiere? Oh, it premiered at Sundance in January of this year. And did that blow your mind? Well, it was exciting. Uh, it, it was after after everything I went through to work on it. That's for sure. So, um, and another thing that was so interesting to me is over the years, um, applying for grants, I often felt that we were at a disadvantage because the majority of the grant money over the years was was um, really for hardcore social issue films about you know all sorts of. You know, the, I mean, just there's no shortage of terrible events in the world, right? right yeah. So just, you know, choose one, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And there would be funding, of, you know, so many more grants we could have applied for if we had that kind of film. I mean, it's interesting, though, because there are social issues baked into the film, you could say, in terms of, you know, the anti-war message or the, you know, the the issues with how Kusama was treated because she was a woman and, yeah. and what. But it wasn't the same, and so we we didn't have the same opportunities. And so when I got to Sundance, it was so fascinating to me that this year there were so many films about um, people, um, interesting people, and not only people, but um, strong, older women. I mean, like um, the RBG film and Seeing All Red, and and there were a number of others. And so I just felt like it, it was just so strange that all of a sudden... Um, I guess it sort of felt like Kusama that I had been ahead of my time in terms of wanting to make this film. And then this kind of thing was, was finally starting to be embraced. I mean, of course, the, I think the film festivals are a little more progressive than, than in general, maybe the critics or the higher level judges or things in terms of, you know, zeroing in on content by and about women filmmakers, but at least it's a start and it is, to see. Yeah, it feels a little bit like the tide is changing, I hope. Um, yeah. Well, with my book, it's my fourth one, and um, I have done really well with all of my, my first three, and uh, this was rejected by five out of six publishing houses. Wow, and this is the one about the women? About are- women, yeah. Wow. Because they thought it was too niche that, you know, oh. Oh. they wouldn't be able to sell a book about women artists, and I was just like... Wow. Filled with rage. Um, that was yeah. 2017 when I pitched, and um, and now it's doing so well, and I've been asked to write a follow-up because apparently people do buy books about women artists. Right, right. <laughs> but, I think um, there's quite an appetite, and I think people really don't, they don't understand. I mean, a lot of times at um, Q&As, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but um, it does happen that, that, that I'll be questioned about the part of the film where the male artists are... Um, being inspired by or copying or however you want to say it, Kusama's art, and and they'll they'll um, they'll have this belief that somehow I invented this and and post and that it didn't really happen, and I have to explain that. You know, I interviewed multiple people, and I looked at the dates of the exhibitions, and I looked at the dates the work premiered, and a lot of time I have, um, a lot of the time I have extra information that I wasn't able to put in the film to back that up, and so, um, that being said, I'll also be approached um, after screenings by women who are practically in tears, saying, "Why didn't I know about this artist?" and um, and just just being so happy to see a story like this being told. And, and another uh, group I've been very um, pleased to see is delighted by the film is, um, is especially Asian women are so happy to see a strong Asian character breaking stereotypes um, of what, what's, you know, often depicted in Western films. Right. And so it's been a real delight when, when I see how happy that this, this, group of people is to see the film mm-hmm. isn't that the best like talking yeah. to people afterwards and hearing all the hard work that you put in to how yeah. it affects people you know like I can't tell you how many times I got goosebumps during the film and like I oh. teared up a couple of times I I teared up when she was in Venice because when you first start introduce in in the 60s when you first start saying that I was like oh cool like she went to Venice and then you find out that she just showed up Right. <laughs> Uninvited, and um, I w- and didn't they like drag her away because she was selling the, her orbs well, for? Well, they asked. She was selling the mirror balls, and they asked her to stop selling them, and she did stop selling them. But the thing that's 
kind of funny is that she started um, throwing them in the air and, and doing different things that were, you know, as where she's so photogenic. Um, so she had photographers documenting that and it ended up getting a lot of press. So even though she stopped selling the ball, she, she didn't stop being the center of attention. So brilliant. I love it. And um, I, oh. I got to go to the Venice Biennale a couple of years ago and it's so... I mean, it's the Venice Biennale. It's just so much and amazing and whatever. And so I love that she just showed up. And then how crazy that 30 years later she gets invited. I know. Like, what a full circle moment. Like, yeah, it's just the whole story is so crazy. And I, I really applaud you for doing it because, again, I mean, lots of people know about her now as the polka dot lady and, like, the mirror, the infinity room at the Broad or, you know, like, and that's all they know. And, right. and to be honest, like, you know, this art is my whole world now. And I'm embarrassed to say that's about all I knew, too. Mm, you know, yeah. and to find out more, that's why as soon as I, I mean, I saw the trailer and then emailed you. I don't even know if the trailer was done before I was emailing you because um, I so badly wanted to hear your version of it and what it took to make it. And um, I love that you were given access to her and uh, like, what a treat. And so right. when, like, and considering how long it took you, so when you were in school and you found that catalog, what year was that? Well, it was the early 90s when I became oh. interested in her. So I'd been tracking her career all this time. And, I wonder you know, what, it, it like, yeah. you two seem so connected now. Like, yeah. I wonder what, like, maybe you knew each other in a past life or something. Like, it's just so interesting <laughs> that you found that tiny nugget mm-hmm. and held on to it all this time and you made it happen, like, just like her. Yeah, well, thank you. Ooh, goosebumps again. Oh. Okay, so now what are you doing with your life? <laughs> this has been your but, life for so long. Like, are you missing filming her? Like, do you want to go to Japan with your camera right now? <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'd love to take a trip to Japan, but I'd probably be... I mean, of course, I'd love to see her art, too, but... Um, but uh, uh, you know, I would be interested in exploring other things too. If I went to Japan, like looking at Japanese gardens and all sorts of other things. So, I mean, right now I'm still busy doing a lot of press for the film. And like tonight I'm doing a Q&A after screening and, and kind of um, just, you know, wrapping up, helping to get the film out into the world in the, in the, in the best way possible. But um, I have a very, very long list of other creative endeavors I'd like to pursue in some ways. Um, you know, I'm actually very creatively frustrated because it did take so long to make this film and and I have ideas for many, many other things, but I'm just trying to be very strategic and careful about what I get involved with next because I don't want it to take anywhere close to as long as this took. I, I mean, it's, I'm sure you appreciate being a creative person yourself who has several things going on. I'm just trying to figure out how to... Um, you know, pursue, pursue things of interest to me and also pay the bills. It's it's a struggle. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, um, like, do you want to keep doing things about women or do you like, that was such an intense project, intense film. Do you, do you want to like do something completely different like Japanese gardens or would you not do another like documentary of like bio? I, you know, it's interesting. I, I actually just recently reviewed my list of films I'd like to make. My list is, I have like 22 different things I'm interested in doing. <laughs> it's quite a lot. And, and there's a range. I mean, I'm always interested in people with creative minds who have not walked the beaten path, for sure. And I do definitely have some other ideas about strong women, but I also have um, ideas that are about men and that are about just a very, you know, unusual um, people and stories. Mm-hmm. And also, probably like a lot of uh, documentary people, I mean, there are so many social issue things, but I think key to me is just whatever I do, I just want it to be something that I'm interested in and that, again, I can, and that I can pay the bills doing. It's yeah. Important at this point, I just am not able to 
to do it any other way because unfortunately otherwise it's just kind of a really expensive hobby <laughs> and um, I just I just can't do that yeah um, no I hear you well I mean kudos to you for making this one happen and I'm super excited to to watch and see what comes next and yeah hopefully it, it's a it's a lot quicker turnaround than <laughs> yeah, I hope yeah. so um but thank you for you know putting this film into the world and and teaching people about her you know like that's sort of my mandate now too is like the more people I can reach and share these stories about these amazing women that are doing things now that did things in the past and and the women that are going to do things in the future like that's so exciting to me yeah it is and I'm I'm glad that you're also you know doing interesting work and I I look forward to seeing your book I'm definitely going to look it up oh thank you are you in LA I uh, I used to live in LA. Now I'm outside of LA, about an hour outside of LA. I hope you're nowhere near fires right now. I'm fortunately I'm not. I'm in the other direction. Oh, okay. It's just terrible what's going on I here. I know it's horrible. Like one of the other horrible things to watch on the news. Um, okay. Well. Oh no, I'm not going to ask you that. Okay. So, the not so speedy speed round. Okay. Is our final thing, and then I will let you go and Q and A and do all the things you need to do. So. First of all, this is an important one for me, coffee or tea? Oh, gosh, I like both. <laughs> what do you start your day with? Uh, you know, it depends. I do, I mean, I do like coffee, but I don't have it every day. I, ideally, I like to wake up and take a walk, but oh, it doesn't always happen. <laughs> I just fuel myself on caffeine. Um, but now that you're married to a Japanese man, do you, is there more tea in your house? Uh, there's both. I mean, we definitely like green tea. And by chance, my mother-in-law is, is really an expert of the Japanese tea ceremony. And actually, this weekend, we'll be going to see her at an event that on the tea ceremony. Wow, that's so cool. My sister, um, when she was 11, she wrote an essay and ended up being able to go um, to our sister city in Japan for, I think she went for like a month or something. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they she was able to be part of all these tea ceremonies because um the family that she was staying with was like some very special family and so they did all these ceremonies and yeah it's so, it's so neat that all the tradition involved yeah and my uh, my father-in-law is well he's now retired but he's a a, a buddhist minister wow wow yeah. so cool yeah. um okay well is the follow-up question is which artist dead or alive would you like to have coffee and or tea with <laughs> that's a that's a great question you know i'd probably just go ahead and pick kusama even though i've already met her <laughs> yeah just go catch up see what prolific things she made yesterday and today and what, what she's planning to make tomorrow i would like to have tea with her too mm-hmm. oh so cool um okay favorite dessert Oh gosh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't, I can't say I have just one, but um, I guess I'll pick. In my family, we have something called birthday cheesecake. It's something my mother makes. It's like um, it's 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 very. It's only about an inch high, and you cut it up into sort of like little, sort of like cookies. And so when I go home, I always ask my mother to make birthday cheesecake, even if it's not anyone's birthday. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. I know. I love you. Got to love the stuff the moms make. Yeah. I always go home and ask my mom for very specific, rant, like weird things too, because it's you know yeah. the taste of childhood. Um, okay, and then final question: What do you prefer, dots or stripes? Oh, I'm gonna have to go with dots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have any dots in your wardrobe now? Actually, I have some, uh, yes, I do. I have some uh, scarf I've been wearing recently with polka dots. Oh, perfect. You have to. Yeah. You have to. But next step, wig. Oh, I did for, <laughs> for Halloween. If you look at my, I just recently uh, started using um, Instagram. So I met Heather Lens Films. Okay. F-I-L-M-Z. And you'll see my photo wearing the red wig there. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Um, oh, and I know what the first thing everybody's going to say when they listen to this and comment is, where can they see the film? Oh, well, um, it, ha it does have, um, uh, it's being distributed 
throughout the world. And so um, here in America, Magnolia is the distributor, and it's still in some theaters. And so if you're in the U.S., if you go to our website, www.kusamamovie.com, mm -hmm. you can find more information. Next month, starting December 10th, 2018, in case uh, in case this is the broadcast later, <laughs> yeah, um, it will be available on um, on streaming through you know uh, iTunes, Netflix, oh, and, awesome. and eventually, yeah, and then in January it'll be on Hulu, um, and then um, our we have a separate website for international um, information, and that's kusamadocumentary.com okay. and so that picks up most of the other territories it's very complicated Dog Wolf is the international distributor handling everything except the US, Canada and Japan and so oh my gosh Canada the distributor it's films we like and in Japan it's Parco and they're planning to release the film in, the, in spring of 2019 oh nice during the cherry blossoms yeah, yeah, and also the month of Kusama's birthday. Oh, oh my gosh. Are you going to go? I don't know. I don't have plans to go yet, but I, I you know, we'll see. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, I'm, I do a great big post when I, um, when the podcast goes up, so I'll put in stills and the trailer and all this stuff, and I'll put links to all of those websites at the bottom so people can find them easily and they can go see the film. Great. Thank and you so much for doing this, Heather. Oh, you're welcome. If you don't mind, could I, um, could I, since I know I wouldn't do this normally, but since you said you're going to edit, could I, um, I, I would really love to talk a little bit about how I decide to make, to be a documentary filmmaker. Yes. Would you be up for asking me about that? And yeah. then I could answer you? <laughs> yeah, let's just go for it. Okay. So, um, after I finished my undergraduate degrees, which, as I mentioned, were in art history and fine arts, I got involved working on a photo documentary project about my my grandmother, who's a well, she's still alive. She's 102. She's a, she she's a quilt maker, and so I got a grant to photograph her quilts and learn more about her story. And um, from there, I just got really interested in documentary film, and I, I won a grant to attend the Robert Flaherty Film Seminar, and it was a really life-changing event for me because I was exposed to all sorts of unusual films, um, including um, documentaries that were hybrids. One that comes to mind that I watched was um, called Bontoc Eulogy, and um, it was about this... this um, man who who was um who who oh gosh I'm not doing a very good job here good thing you're editing I'm gonna do two <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, one of these films I was so inspired by was called Bontoc Eulogy and it was about the 1904 World's Fair where these people from the Philippines were brought and they were basically put on display as a as a fair exhibition and they were doing I, I mean I haven't seen the film in years but um I was just this is my my memory of it from again not having seen it in more than a decade but it just really made an impression these people were doing these like elaborate dances that it turned out they were dances of mourning because they were being exposed to different diseases and they were dying and but it just, um, something about that film and other films I saw that week, it was so inspiring to me that I decided to be a documentary filmmaker. Wow, and that was that between your undergrad and your MFA? It was. Yeah, yeah it, and that's why you decided to do the MFA in film. That's true. That's that's true. Yeah, that's that's the thing that pushed me in that direction. Because after, after I finished my undergrad, uh, excuse me, my undergraduate degrees, for a while I was actually making and exhibiting my own art. Oh. And at the time, I actually felt, I started to feel a little disillusioned because I felt that there were just certain people that go to galleries and museums and certain people that don't. And I felt that film was very, um, it started to really appeal to me because people watch film and TV, whether they're young or old or rich or poor or black or white or, mm -hmm. you know, it just can really reach a, a broad audience. Audience. But then the irony is that I ended up spending all this time making a film about an artist, and I have to say, in some ways now, I think I think um, uh, now that my schedule's lightening up, I I may go back to making some art on my own. One thing that's 
more appealing about it now is just that um, it's just much simpler and less expensive and, and just the idea that you can make something and kind of um, see it through, I guess, in a, in a quicker way seems mm. very appealing right now. What, what kind of work were you making? What, like, what do you think you'd start doing? Well, in the past, um, like I said, my undergraduate degree was in sculpture, but now I'm, I'm interested in, in um, a number of things from potentially just, just some things for fun, you know? Yeah, and it must have been interesting actually, like, doing this documentary about an artist, like, you know, watching her work, did it kind of, like, get your creative juices flowing? Did it kind of make you wish that you were making stuff too? Oh, no, I didn't. I mean, at the time I was filming her, I was just 100% committed to making the film. So I was certainly, I was just, you know, thrilled to to be getting great footage and thrilled that I got to work with talented cinematographers and things like that. And I mean, the, the, I mentioned that we already had a cut back in 2011, but the film did obviously, you know, change and evolve during that time. And one of the most wonderful things that happened is that I met the final editor, Keita Ideno, who just did an amazing job. And because he's bilingual, unlike me, he was able to find some hidden gems in the material and just really help get the film to the finish line. So that was just wonderful. It just feels like a giant exhale. I'm so happy for you that it's (laughs) done and that it's beautiful. And, you know, do you feel satisfied by it? Like, are you like, there, I told the story? Well, I'm thrilled it's done. I mean, I'll be honest, um, you know, I I had to work within the constraints of the budget and whatnot. So there's probably a couple little things I would tweak. But (laughs) at this point, I'm ready to just just ready. I'm thrilled it's done and out in the world. I'm happy that people are overall enjoying it. Um, The you know, so yeah, I think it's beautiful. And it's so funny because, like, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't see anything that should be tweaked, but I'm sure when you're knee deep, you, you would, but I don't see a thing. Great. Well, yeah. that's good. Thank mm-hmm. you. Well, thank you so much. Um, I, I know you're so busy, and I'm so thrilled that um, I had a chance to see the film before we talked. Thank you for that and, um, and for taking the time to come and talk all about this. And now I hope everybody sees it because it is, it's a work of art. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay. Bye, Heather. Bye. Oh, my goodness. So many goosebumps so many times. I think Heather's tenacity and perseverance to make this film happen is amazing. Much like Kusama herself. Always pushing and never giving up, even when it felt like giving up was the only option. Huge thanks to Heather for fitting me into her very busy press schedule. Thanks to Sachi Art for supporting this episode. And of course, thank you for listening. There will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then.